I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. That doubles a baby's chances at life. And by six weeks, the eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb. And for just $28, you could be the difference between life or death of a child. All gifts are tax deductible, and I want you to donate. All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million dollars. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Senator, nice to see you. This is going to be a really interesting show because you put out a tweet asking people for questions that they may have about what is going to happen with Donald Trump. We're going to go through a lot of those questions uh, for the show, but let's start with kind of laying what this week's going to look like. What is going to happen this week uh, with Donald Trump and this arraignment? uh, We're being told tentatively it would be on Tuesday. Obviously, that could change, but we're being told that's what they're working with the Secret Service right now. Right. So what we know is the New York grand jury has returned an indictment and that it has 34 counts to the indictment. Uh, As we sit here today, we don't know the specific counts. That's still under seal. I assume that's going to be made public at some point, but we haven't seen what specifically the 34 counts are. We also know from public news reporting that Trump is expected to be arraigned on Tuesday at 2.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So assuming that's correct, we will see uh, concurrent with the arraignment, we will see Trump come in. We will see him surrender himself to the authorities in New York. Um, From the public reporting, they're saying there's not going to be a perp walk that Trump is not going to be in handcuffs. We've also seen public reporting that Secret Service has informed New York they will not allow them to handcuff Donald Trump. So he will come in, presumably of his own volition, without handcuffs. When he comes in, he'll be booked, he'll be fingerprinted, he will be, there will be a mugshot. Interestingly enough, based on some of the reporting, uh, the New York authorities are suggesting the mugshot may not be available to the public, whereas Trump is saying... He wants the mugshot to be yeah. available to the public. Uh, we know that, that Trump's presidential campaign has raised millions of dollars within the first 24 hours of the indictment. 
Uh, I think the Trump campaign thinks that that mugshot is probably worth millions more dollars in campaign fundraising. And we've talked about how this indictment is likely to, to boomerang and, and backlash and that it already is. But all of that will play out on Tuesday. We will, I believe, see the mugshot. And as I predicted on, on this podcast already, uh, I think you'll see Trump in a beautiful dark blue suit, a crisp white shirt, and a red shiny Donald J. Trump tie smiling ear to ear in the mugshot. How abnormal is it to not release a mugshot of somebody? Because it, the fact that they're playing this much politics, yeah. and I think this does go to politics. Yeah. If you're not going to go over procedure, then you're playing politics. You want to arrest the guy, right. but you don't want people to see the mugshot. That screams dripping yeah. Yeah. of political it, motivations. It, it, it'll be released. That will be the, the end outcome. He will come in. Uh, he will plead not guilty. He will be released, presumably on some form of, of, of bail. Uh, given that New York, they, they believe in, in cashless bail, they'll release murderers. I, I don't know. Maybe they'll say, no, we won't release Donald Trump. No, they will release him, and then they'll move forward towards a trial. So how does the bail process work, and how much time from, from when he gets out of that car, walks in there with his attorneys, Secret Service will be around, they say, the entire time. There was, there was reporting that everybody in that court day, basically Tuesday's going to be shut down around right. that time. It'll be empty. It'll be just for this situation with Donald Trump. So how do you post bail? How fast does that happen? Does that come from a bank account before he even gets there? How does that work? Look, they're not going to drag it out. It's not going to be long and extended, in part because the New York City officials, they're concerned about protests. They're concerned about violence. They're setting up barricades. So they're they're not going to want it. In an ordinary case, someone could be there for hours and hours and hours. I mean, it's not typically a uh, smooth, efficient process. In this case, I expect it will be relatively quick that he will go in, he will take the mugshot, they'll take his fingerprints, and he'll go and appear before a judge. And and bail will be set. Typically, they'll turn to the prosecution and ask what's the prosecution seeking, and the prosecution will suggest a, a bail amount. It, it wouldn't surprise me if, if they release him on his own recognizance. It's not like they're cons- worried about, yeah. yeah it's, it's not like he is a, a flight risk. So... Um, and it will be the judge ultimately who decides what what the standard is for bail within the parameters of New York law. Will he be in a courtroom with a judge or will this be done by video? We saw a lot of that in COVID where there was technology used, right, where you would go before a judge basically with, you know, through a video camera. When he walks in there, will they take him into an actual courtroom or how does that work? Well, let me be clear. I've never practiced law in a New York state courtroom or certainly a New York criminal courtroom. So so I don't have first experience with how Manhattan handled it, but I would absolutely expect that we will see this in a courtroom in front of a live judge uh, with with a real court reporter and bailiff and the rest. All right, so let's ask, and this is my first question I want to ask you, and and crazy things have happened in and around Donald Trump. What if Donald Trump decides, I don't want to go to New York. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to show up for this. What would happen then? So that's actually an interesting legal question, and it implicates a lot of different legal factors. The Constitution speaks to it. So the Constitution, there is a clause in the Constitution called the Extradition Clause. The Extradition Clause provides, quote, a person charged in any state with treason, felony, or other crime who shall flee from justice and be found in another state shall, on demand of the executive authority of the state from which he fled, be delivered up, to be removed to the state having jurisdiction of the crime. 
Now, if you look at the Constitutional Convention, which is where the Constitution was drafted, and if you looked at the notes, for example, on August 28, 1787, uh, James Madison notes that, that during the constitutional editing process of Article 4, which is where the extradition clause is found, that the words high misdemeanor were struck out and instead the words other crime were inserted, which, which comprehended, quote, all proper cases. In other words, they didn't want uh, the state where a person was to be found making a determination as to the nature of of the crime in the state seeking extradition. Now, that's in the Constitution. There's a federal statute called the Federal Extradition Act, and that's 18 U.S.C. Section 3182. It follows very closely to the Constitution's extradition clause. It says, whenever an executive authority of any state or territory demands any person as a fugitive from justice, and it goes on to say, the executive authority of the state to which the person has fled shall cause him to be arrested and secured and notify the executive authority making such a demand or the agency of such authority appointed to receive the fugitive and shall cause the fugitive to be delivered. And so under the terms of the federal statute, it's a mandatory obligation. There's also a law called the Uniform Criminal Extradition Act, which is a uniform criminal law that, that 48 states have adopted, including Florida. So there's a Florida state law that puts the obligation on the governor, quote, to have arrested and delivered up to the executive any other state of the United States, any person charged in that state with treason, felony, or another crime. Now, it's more than a little interesting, given that the executive of the state where Donald Trump is found is Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, and he said, and and it made it very clear in his statement, he would not work with New York City. Yeah. So, so Ron DeSantis tweeted out the following, quote, The weaponization of the legal system to advance a political agenda turns the rule of law on its head. It is un-American. The Soros-backed Manhattan district attorney has consistently bent the law to downgrade felonies and to excuse criminal mis- misconduct. Yet now he is stretching the law to target a political opponent. Florida will not assist in an extradition request given the questionable circumstances at issue with this Soros-backed Manhattan prosecutor and his political agenda. So DeSantis is suggesting that he would fight extradition of Donald Trump. Now, at the end of the day, if Trump refused to show up and DeSantis fought, um, I think it is likely that, that you would end up seeing Trump extradited. Uh, New York would likely seek a mandamus in federal district court in Florida to order that Trump be extradited. Presumably, Florida would fight that. Uh, But I think given the Constitution, given the federal statute, given the Florida statute, it is likely that the courts would say that, that, well, for example, here's what the Supreme Court said uh, in a case that was called New Mexico versus Reed. Supreme Court said, quote, What actually happened in the demanding state, the law of the demanding state, and what may be expected to happen in the demanding state, that's New York, when the fugitive returns are not issues that must be tried, or or, or rather, are issues that must be tried in the courts of that state and not in those of the asylum state. So I think, think given the state of the law, if Trump tried to fight, if DeSantis fought alongside him, 
they could delay extradition. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it is likely you would see extradition happen. Now, assuming Trump does what he said, which is that he's going to surrender, and I think that's probably the right decision to go and fight it and beat, beat it in court, um, we won't find it out. But, it, but if, if Trump were to refuse to show up, it would create a, a brand new legal challenge that, that, that would be fascinating and difficult. Something like that, if it did happen and played out that way, is that something that could possibly go all the way to the Supreme Court to get oh, a ruling? Uh, it could. Um, sure, sure. It, it could, and given the nature of a presidential campaign, uh, it's entirely possible that it would. Um, as I said, I think it's likely not to be teed up because Trump has said he's going to turn himself in. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm not sure it's in Trump's interest or DeSantis's interest to drag this out for six months and then lose and be forced to do the same thing. That, that at the end of the day, that calculus, it's going to be Trump that makes the decision. If he doesn't show sure. up, that'll tee this up. But given the state of the law, I assume Trump's lawyers are advising him, you're not likely to win the argument that I get to be a fugitive from justice because I don't like the indictment. You're on much stronger grounds going and fighting the indictment and saying this is a... A, a, a political witch hunt rather than being, in fact, a fugitive from justice. I think that both legally and politically is a bad look, which is why yeah. I don't expect Trump to do that. It's very interesting to think about it. And it's when it deals with Donald Trump, you never know exactly you, you never what's going to happen. You, you never know. And I will say sometimes history has a sense of humor. You know, I'm reminded back in, in 2000, and, and as you know, I was a baby lawyer, was part of the George W. Bush campaign, yeah. met Heidi on the campaign, and I was part of the legal team in Tallahassee in Bush versus Gore. And the entire presidency came down to that, those legal proceedings, ultimately 537 votes for George W. Bush over Al Gore. One of the bizarre aspects of it is the governor of the state that the entire presidency hinged upon was Jeb Bush the brother of one of the two governors. I remember laughing, saying, you know, if you wrote this as a novel, no one would publish it. They'd yeah. say, oh, come on, this is stupid. If you submitted a screenplay, they'd laugh at you. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't get to make the governor of the key state the brother of one of the candidates. It's kind of similar here. No, you don't get to make the governor of the state that would decide what to do on extradition the leading Republican rival of the guy presumably being extradited. And sometimes you history, you can't make it up. It's amazing. I want to get to some of these questions on Twitter. A lot of really good questions uh, were responded when we said, hey, we'll answer these questions. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about our friends over at Patriot Mobile. You've got bills every month that you're going to pay. And the question is, when you choose who you're going to go with with your cell phone provider, are you working with a company that actually stands with your values or is fighting against what you believe in? Patriot Mobile was created as the only conservative Christian cell phone company in the U.S. because they wanted to make a difference every time, if you're a member, you pay your bill. Now, they actually take a portion of your bill every month and they give it back to conservative causes and organizations. We're talking about defending your First Amendment rights, your Second Amendment rights, the rights of unborn children. They even help with adoptions. This is why I love Patriot Mobile. Now, you get the same cell phone number you're using right now, so it's easy to switch, and you're using the same towers, the same coverage you're used to right now. The only difference is when you make the switch, you're standing up for what you believe in. So check them out. Go online to patriotmobile.com slash verdict. That's patriotmobile.com slash verdict, or you can call them. 
878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. Use the promo code VERDICT for the best deals of the day. Senator, I want to get some of these questions because they're really good. And, and this is the first one. And I think it's a great one. It says, does Trump have any recourse if after his walk of shame slash mugshot, the case fizzles out? It's a great question because, like, it seems so biased. It seems so political. It seems so unfair. Does he have any recourse if this thing doesn't work out for Bragg? So his recourses are very limited and they're primarily political. Um, legally, his principal resource would be under a law called 42 U.S.C. Section 1983. So Section 1983 en- enables, it says, every person who uh, under cover, under color of any statute, ordinance, regulation, customer usage, in other words, under color of state law, causes the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured by the Constitution or laws shall be liable to the party injured in an action at law. Um, What Section 1983 enables you to do is that if a state or local official violates your constitutional rights, you can sue that state or local official for violating your constitutional rights. Section 1983 is the primary vehicle of most civil rights lawsuits. Um, Section 1983 is actually part of what was called the Ku Klux Klan's laws. Yeah which were passed in the wake of the Civil War and uh, in the wake of the 14th Amendment. Section 1983 was one of the enforcement mechanisms of the 14th Amendment. After the Civil War, there were three landmark amendments that were adopted. The 13th Amendment, which ended slavery. The 14th Amendment, which ensures due process of law and equal protection of law and was there designed to protect the rights principally of the slaves who had just been freed, but also of everyone else. It it applied across the board, and the 15th Amendment guaranteed the right to vote couldn't be denied based on race. And so the three were adopted together following the Civil War. Trump could bring a 1983 lawsuit. There'd be a number of challenges. Number one, if he tried to sue Alvin Bragg personally, he'd be extremely unlikely to succeed. Uh, The courts interpret— Seems unfair, by the way. I understand. But the the courts interpret prosecutorial immunity very, very broadly. It's been referred to in in numerous instances as absolute. And, and, you know, you can say it seems unfair, but but I will give you the flip side of that. Sure. Which is every day people are prosecuted all across the country. And if you could sue the DA for every prosecution they brought, every murderer, every drug dealer, you would face an unlimited number of lawsuits. And you got to think about it. Ben Ferguson... Would you serve as DA No. if every murderer you, you, you prosecuted could Sued sue Ben Ferguson yeah. personally and take your house and take your car? Yeah. You got a fancy new car parked outside. You don't want a <laughs> murderer knew, driving away that with with you. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I knew you were going to take that shot. Well yeah. played. No, it's, but it's true. You would not take that job. You would say, I can't afford this. I can't afford the legal. Right. I can't afford the time it takes. So that does make sense. So, so there's a reason prosecutors and judges both have been given – absolute immunity with very, very few exceptions because of that proposition. Um, what you can do, though, is you can sue the office. So you could sue the district attorney in the official capacity, not your personal capacity, which means a judgment would not be paid out of district attorney Ben Ferguson's personal bank account, but rather out of the, the, state. The, the, the district attorney for Manhattan. The challenges of suing the office, though, are quite significant. And I actually litigated a case where, where we were dealing with exactly this. It's a case called Connick versus Thompson. 
and it dealt with an individual named John Thompson who was prosecuted for murder in New Orleans. And he was convicted of capital murder, and he was sent to death row. And it was a wrongful conviction. Uh, John Thompson was innocent of the murder. And the district attorney's office in New Orleans, they had blood evidence that could have exonerated him, and they never gave that blood evidence to John Thompson. Um, there's a Supreme Court decision called Brady, which, which requires that prosecutors have to give the defendants any exculpatory evidence. Any evidence they have that could prove they're innocent, they have to hand it over. And the DA's office didn't want to do it. Didn't do it. And so they convicted him. They sent John Thompson to, to death row. And ultimately, his lawyers actually, through like pricking his fingers, they took a DNA test. They got access to the blood evidence and they proved he was innocent. Wow. And so John Thompson was released from death row, but he'd spent 14 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. Well, after he was released, I wasn't part of the criminal trial. I got involved after he was released. He filed a lawsuit against the district attorney in New Orleans, and he won. He won $14 million, a million dollars for every year of the 14 years he was wrongfully incarcerated. That case went up to the Supreme Court, and I was in private practice at the time. I was at a firm called Morgan Lewis, one of the biggest law firms in the country, and I was leading their Supreme Court practice and their national appellate practice. And two of my law partners had been representing John Thompson for years, pro bono, doing it for free. And so they brought me in to assist on the Supreme Court case, and I spent a lot of time working with my partners on the Supreme Court case. We went to the court. I was at the arguments, seating at council chamber. My, my uh, partner argued the case. Unfortunately, we lost 5-4. Wow. And 5-4, the Supreme Court threw out uh, the judgment because they said there was not a pattern in practice that was so pervasive in the office of refusing to hand over Brady materials that they were not going to hold the office liable. All of which is to say Trump could presumably sue, but the chances of succeeding in a civil lawsuit afterwards are very slim. There would be serious legal impediments to winning. Interesting, especially if you are on death row for 14 years, you can't win that one. Yeah. This is obviously seems a much lower level of chance of success. Let's go to another question. And, and again, everybody sending these in. You guys were amazing with this. Uh, another one is, are, are the charges that Trump was indicted for politically uh, based or based on actual evidence? Does the indictment warrant further investigation? And what legal options does Trump have for responding to the indictment? Well, look, the, the indictment, I believe, is, is wholly political. Uh, I, I think it is, it is baseless. Um, we don't know the exact terms, but what we do know is it, we know what we think the case is based on. Right. And we think the case is based on a specific New York law. It's New York Penal Law 175.05. Now, that's a law that makes it a misdemeanor to essentially create a false business record. It defines it a little more legalese, but it's creating a false business record. Now, there's an obvious problem with this, which is a misdemeanor, this, the misdemeanor under New York law, uh, has a two-year statute of limitations. The conduct here occurred in 2016, and the conduct, as we understand it, that this is all based on, is an alleged payment of $130,000 made by Michael Cohen, then Donald Trump's personal attorney, to Stormy Daniels, the porn star who alleges she had an affair with Donald Trump and that the money was hush money for her to keep quiet. And this is in the middle of the presidential campaign. Trump is running against Hillary. 
it obviously would have been not good politically for a scandal to break right in the middle of this of an affair with a porn star. Um, it's not illegal under New York law to have an affair with a porn star. It's not even illegal under New York law to pay hush money to a porn star. All, all of that, you can decide what you like about the underlying alleged conduct, but it's not illegal in New York. What is allegedly illegal is that when Michael Cohen delivered $130,000 to Stormy Daniels, it was recorded on the records for Trump as legal fees when it was not, in fact, legal fees. It was hush money payments to the porn star. Now, I said this was a misdemeanor, so how is Alvin Bragg bringing it? It's, it's beyond two years. Well, there's a second statute. It's New York Penal Law 175.10 that makes it a felony with a longer statute of limitations if the false business record was created in order to aid in the commission of another crime. So to get it from misdemeanor to felony, to get the statute of limitations longer, Alvin Bragg has to somehow bootstrap that this allegedly false business record was done to facilitate another crime. We don't know what other crime he's going to claim. Presumably, the most likely other crime is some sort of federal campaign finance violation that it was hiding what the money was being spent for. We don't know exactly. Sure. We do know that the Department of Justice, the Southern District of New York, investigated a federal campaign finance violation on this and decided not to prosecute. We also know that the Federal Elections Commission's investigated the conduct underlying this to see if there was a violation and decided not to prosecute. So at this point, Alvin Bragg is presumably taking a federal crime that no federal official thinks is sufficient to prosecute and using that to try to bootstrap a state crime into a felony to go after Donald Trump. I think the entire thing is crap. Um, and one of the most important points, and it's one I've made a couple of times on this podcast, if this is a crime, if this is a felony that someone should go to jail for, then Hillary Clinton committed the exact same crime because at the exact same time, Hillary Clinton's campaign paid over a million dollars. You're not exaggerating to say exact same no. time. 2016 presidential campaign, her campaign was making the Steele dossier. The Democratic yep. National Committee was helping pay for yep. this. She was paying for this out of the campaign finance, you know, their campaign. She had lawyers involved that were doing yep. this and trying to sell this. Literally, it's exact same time frame. So her campaign spent over $1 million to create the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier, you remember, is this scurrilous and scandalous dossier assembled in Europe that, that alleged all these things that Trump had done, including the famous P-tape, all of which was fiction, yeah. all of which was false. It was made up. Brought to you and paid for by the Democratic Party and Hillary yes, Clinton it, for president. It, it, it was, and the Hillary Clinton campaign recorded that over a million dollars as legal fees. So if recording something as legal fees that is not legal fees in the context of a presidential campaign is criminal in Manhattan, then Hillary Clinton, a resident of New York, committed the same crime at the exact same time, 2016, in the exact same place, Manhattan, New York. There is no coherent way. All right, if Alvin Bragg wants to indict Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump side by side, then they can both then he could lose both cases, but that at least is marginally consistent. If he only indicts Donald Trump, everyone gets the joke. He hates Trump. He's a left-wing Democrat. And by any means necessary is his approach. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. That doubles a baby's chances at life. And by six weeks, the eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb. And for just $28, you could be the difference between life or death of a child. All gifts are tax deductible, and I want you to donate. All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. I want to tell you about our friends at Augusta Precious Metals. Uh, It is crazy what's happening in our economy right now. It's crazy what's happening with many people's retirement accounts. And if you want to have diversification of your financial portfolio, you need to check out Augusta Precious Metals. Augusta Precious Metals will sit down with you, actually do a live web conference with you, talk about where you are, how close you are to retirement. And if you're close to retirement, you know how important it is to preserve your wealth because you don't have time to make up losses. That's where Augusta comes in. They'll look over what you're doing now. They'll look over your IRA, your 401k, and see if you can diversify in gold and silver. Check them out online, AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Also, you can call them as well, 877-4-GOLD-IRA, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. Call them, sit down with them, take back and get rid of all that nervousness by looking at gold and silver to see if it's right for your retirement account. 877-4-GOLD-IRA. Senator, I want to get to another question real quick that came in. What are the chances of dismissal? And if found innocent, can the DA face being disbarred? So I think the chances of dismissal are high. It will depend on what trial court they get. There are some partisan Democrat trial judges in in. New York. So it is possible they get a highly partisan trial judge who refuses to dismiss the claims. If they have a trial judge who follows the law, I think this ought to be dismissed at trial court. If not, it it should be thrown out on appeal. But if it's not dismissed at the trial court, there will almost assuredly be a motion to dismiss the indictment, a fight early on in the trial court. If it's not dismissed in the trial court, I expect an appeal and any appellate court following the law, I think, will throw this out. I think this will ultimately be rejected. How but, long does this last? Then that's. I mean, it, we got it, a presidential it, campaign here. It, look, it depends, but it. You know, prosecutions can drag on for months and years. 
Um, it depends how quickly the New York courts operate. But it is easy to see this lasting for many months, and it could conceivably last beyond Election Day 2024. Which brings me to a question I have to ask as a follow-up. Donald Trump, let's say he gets elected. He becomes president of the United States of America again for another four years. Yeah. January 20th, he's sworn in. January 21st, he is convicted. What happens then? Uh, look, if he's convicted, and let's assume for a second he's convicted and sentenced to jail. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Let's be clear. Sure. This is a hypothetical that I think is false. But there is nothing in the Constitution to prevent a president from serving while in jail. So for anyone who thinks— Is in, that because they never could have imagined the scenario that we're living in right now? Yes, yes. I, look, okay. I think that's a significant part of it, that they didn't envision the legal system being weaponized. I mean, as you know, I wrote an entire book just a few months ago on this topic, Justice Corrupted, How the Left Has Weaponized the Legal System. If you haven't bought the book, go buy the book because it talks about Alvin Bragg. It talks about DOJ. It talks about the FBI. It lays out this problem. The reason I wrote the book, I saw what Obama had done, what the deep state had done against Trump. I saw what Joe Biden and Merrick Garland were doing. I saw what Alvin Bragg had done. This has been coming a long time. The framers never envisioned the this justice scenario. system being used by that. But in terms of, so there's some people who are saying, well, gosh, does the indictment mean Trump can't run? Let me tell you, Article 2 of the Constitution specifies the grounds to serve as president. There are three. What the Constitution says is no person except a natural-born citizen, which Trump is, shall be eligible to the office of the president. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained the age of 35 years. Trump is over 35 and been 14 years a resident within the United States. Those are the three three criteria under the Constitution. You've got to be a natural-born citizen, at least 35 years old, and have been 14 years a resident in the United States. Trump meets all three of those. So he is eligible to run for president. He's eligible to serve as president. Now, there is potentially one other ground that could make someone ineligible to serve for president. That is under the 14th Amendment, uh, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It provides no person shall be a senator, representative in Congress, or elector of the president or vice president, or hold any office under the United States who, having previously taken an oath to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid and comfort to the enemies thereof. So this is something in the fever swamps of the left, the Democratic side. They get great joy of, okay, Trump will be barred from running for or serving as president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And it is at least conceivable there will be lawsuits arguing Trump is ineligible under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and arguing that what, under, that what happened on January 6th qualified as, to use the constitutional language, an insurrection or rebellion. That's why Democrats use the word insurrection so much. Over and over and over again. That's not going to succeed. I think it is highly unlikely to succeed. We might see a prosecution from the Biden Justice Department, the special prosecutor that's investigating Trump, might bring a prosecution for insurrection or rebellion or giving aid, aid and comfort to the enemies thereof. But there has been no prosecution. So excluding that, it, if he if he was convicted of another crime, that does not mean that he is ineligible to be president The president of the again. United States— could commit murder. Joe Biden could walk into the office of his chief of staff and kill his chief of staff on national television. 
Joe Biden could be prosecuted and sentenced to life in prison. And if nothing else happened, Joe Biden would remain the president of the United States. Wow. Now, the natural step that would happen in that hypothetical is the House of Representatives would impeach Joe Biden for having committed high crimes and misdemeanors. And in that instance, presumably the Senate would convict him and remove him from office. But that's how you remove a president from office is is it's not the, the mechanism it's not of the, it's not the conviction. It's what you do afterwards in Congress Correct. that would make you ineligible to be president. Yeah. Simply a murder conviction, simply a life life imprisonment sentence would not automatically remove you from from the office. It would take the Senate convicting in an impeachment. Interesting. Let's get to another question here. Another one that came through. Uh, when are we going to see indictments against the Clintons slash Bidens? I mean, the whole world has seen the evidence. What more is needed? I think this goes back to Hunter Biden, James Biden. The, the, the Biden crime family continues to expand. People see the laptop. They see the money. Yeah. They see the suspicious activity reports. And there does seem to be a two different systems of justice in this country. If you're a Democrat, you get a pass. If you're a Republican, we'll make up crimes against you to shut you up. I mean, how we had somebody that went to jail the other day that was convicted because they made a meme of Hillary Clinton about Hillary Clinton. And people see that and they say, we're not safe in this country if you're a Republican and the system can come after you. But Democrats, it's good to go. Do whatever you want to do. Look, if you look at the conduct Hillary Clinton committed, it was altogether different from this sort of conduct. Um, and, and actually, as it concerns false business records, it was identical and 10x worse. In other words, Trump is, is alleged to have done so with 130000 yeah. Hillary Clinton is admitted to have done so with over a million dollars. Um, the Bidens, we've talked at great length on this podcast about the evidence of corruption by the Biden family. Uh, it is significant. I believe the Biden DOJ wants to get nowhere near it. I don't believe they're investigating it. I don't believe they're looking at it. I believe Merrick Garland's plan was to indict Donald Trump for improperly having classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. I think they were very excited. I think they were – they had started – they had leaked. They were going to indict Hunter Biden for drug and tax issues, which don't implicate his father or the family corruption, just say poor troubled soul with a substance abuse problem. I think Merrick Garland wanted to do that in order to show how even-handed he was. Look, I'm indicting a Biden, I'm indicting a Trump. See, it's right in the middle. Then a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, which is we discovered that Joe Biden had classified documents stored seemingly in every Everywhere. bodily orifice he had. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't understand why Biden leaves classified documents everywhere. Um, it, it started to become almost a comedy of error as one after the other after the other was discovered. What it created was a legal and even more significantly a political problem for Merrick Garland in that now I think Garland understands if DOJ indicts Donald Trump for classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, it is indefensible not to indict Joe Biden for the same thing. And so I think they feel just stuck right now. Um, we've talked about the special counsel who's been appointed to investigate the Biden classified documents. The real question that will indicate whether that special counsel is fulfilling his oath is whether he's willing to investigate and does in fact investigate the connections of corruption back to Joe Biden himself or whether he seals him off and doesn't look at the corruption uh, I hope they do. I have to say my, my level of optimism that the Biden DOJ will investigate or prosecute the Biden family corruption is extremely, extremely low. 
I want to get to one other question before we get to my orcas because I want to make sure we leave time for that and what he had to say on 60 Minutes. But the last one here is a thread, and I kind of want you to go through it so people understand, and this is an important one. So this is an individual. So we had, when we put out on Twitter, said, do you have questions about the Trump indictment? We had a lot of good questions, a yeah. number of which we went through in this podcast. We also had trolls on the left uh, <laughs> who, who just kind of had fun, and that's fine. I, I enjoy trolls, I have to admit. Twitter would be more boring without the trolls. I, 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 I enjoy with jousting with lefties. It's, it's, you know, it's usually like shooting fish in a barrel. But in this instance, um, this, this person, presumably from the left, sent, sent out a tweet that is copying an earlier tweet I had sent that said elected officials, no matter how high their position, should be held accountable for criminal conduct. The rule of law matters. And this individual says, my question, is this you? Ha ha, lefty. Yeah, 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 yeah I got it. Well, this was actually part of an, a thread of tweets that I had sent about Hillary Clinton. So if you look at the thread, the first email, this was on October 28th, 2016, which is Americans already know Hillary Clinton's lifelong pattern of corruption. And I linked to a detailed summary of, of that lifelong pattern. The second tweet was, it's abundantly clear her handling of classified info on a private email server was grossly negligent as the FBI admitted this summer. You remember James Comey at his press oh, yeah. conference admitting she'd violated the law and it was grossly negligent. And then the third tweet was, elected officials, no matter how high their position, should be held accountable for criminal conduct. The rule of law matters. Every bit of that is absolutely right. And with Hillary Clinton, you saw a repeated pattern of criminal behavior. And you also saw a repeated pattern of the destruction of evidence, including wiping hard drives, including using hammers to smash cell phones to destroy the evidence. By the way, as a legal matter, if you destroy evidence, um, you are entitled to presume that that is because the evidence would have implicated you in a crime. In this instance, the alleged crime that Alvin Bragg is bringing of a bookkeeping error is number one, trivial, number two, past the, the statute of limitations, and number three, obviously pretextual. Um, to say the rule of law matters, look, there's, the, there's a concomitant aspect to it, which is when you are pr prosecuting a government official, particularly a government official of the opposing party, there is an obligation that you have a standard that this really matter, that this be a real and significant violation, that it not be some ticky-tack, aha, I got video of you going 56 miles an hour in a 55, we're coming to put you away. Um, that principle is absolutely true. And listen, I'm not advocating that Biden be prosecuted for ticky-tack irrelevant issues. I'm interested in whether he was engaged in actual corruption with the government of the Chinese communist government that was enriching himself and his family to the tune of millions of dollars. That's classic public corruption. It is significant. It is consequential. And the corporate media and, and the Democrats desperately want to avoid any inquiry to that. I don't expect the DOJ to get into it. I do expect the House of Representatives to continue to press forward with oversight and make those facts public. And a side note, if, if someone's going to try to troll you, they should at least read the whole Twitter thread before they do it. Public uh, yet, service announcement there. You know, oddly enough, <laughs> trolls are, 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 are rarely known for their uh, diligence and attention to detail. Yeah. 
I want to talk about Mayorkas real quick. The border, it's a really important issue. Uh, you had a bunch of back and forth with Mayorkas when he was testifying recently. We talked about it on the pod. If you missed it, go back and listen to that. Before we get that, I want to tell you about our friends at Chalk. If you're a guy and you're getting older and you feel like you're losing some of your edge, you need to check out Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com. Check them out because they can help boost your testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. By taking Chalk's Male Vitality Stack, you can maximize your masculinity, and you can do it right now by going to Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com. Now, use the code BEN. You're going to get 35% off any Chalk subscription for life. I'm taking the Male Vitality Stack. I can tell you it has made a difference. It's actually really cool. Check them out. Don't feel like you're just getting older. Fight back and check out what they can do for you. Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com. Use the code BEN for 35% off. That's Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com. Senator, uh, let's talk about what's been happening with Mayorkas at the border. You talked to him about what was going on at the border. It's now becoming, I think, a political liability for the Biden administration when you see the media asking questions that they refuse to answer. One of those happened on 60 Minutes, and I want people to see what, what was said. Take a look. The chief of the Border Patrol, Raul Ortiz, testified before Congress that some areas of the border are in a crisis situation. Do you agree? I think that we face a very serious challenge in certain parts of the border. Do you view what's happening right now in the border as a crisis? I view it as a significant challenge. Why won't you say the word crisis? You know what? Because I have tremendous faith in the people of the Department of Homeland Security. And a crisis uh, speaks to me uh, of a withdrawal uh, from our mission. And we are only putting more force and more energy into it. I don't believe him. I think you would probably agree with that. I also think at some point you just look like an idiot when you won't admit what everybody's watching. You know, we're looking at now over six million illegal immigrants have crossed under his watch under Joe Biden's presidency. It's the worst illegal immigration in our nation's history. We have had also massive spikes in the number of illegal immigrants dying on the border. Under his watch, we had the highest rate of drug overdoses last year in our nation's history. Over 100,000 Americans died of drug overdoses, the vast majority from Chinese fentanyl flooding across the border. And he doesn't consider any of that a crisis. Look, what he's doing is obvious. It's political. He is engaging in political spin. Someone is giving him a talking point that if you say the word crisis, it's bad politics. And so he, he engages in absolute denial of reality. You know, it really was striking. 60 Minutes, their cross-examination is, is almost word for word. The cross-examination I did a week earlier in, in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Here, take, take a look. Yeah. Is there a crisis at our southern border? Senator, uh, there is a very significant— that, That's a yes or no question. There's a very significant— it, Is there a crisis? Senator, there's a very significant challenge— I, I think your microphone is not on. There is a very significant challenge that we are facing. Yes or no, at the is there border. a crisis? I believe I've addressed that question. So you're Senator. refusing to answer? Senator, uh, there is a very significant challenge. and Will we you are answer if there's a crisis? Therefore, we are dedicating the resources. Okay, so you're refusing to answer. It reminds me of my kids arguing with Siri when they're trying to get Siri to do something for them. He, he refused five times. Yeah. So five times in a row, I ask him, is there a crisis? Now, note, he won't say no. Yeah. And he won't say yes. Yeah. When you ask, is there a crisis? He says there's a significant challenge. It was clear 
some little pipsqueak political staffer gave a talking point when everyone asks is a crisis, say there's a significant challenge. I think it's a mistake not to answer questions. Um, he's a horrible witness. But it says something that even the press, 60 Minutes, I mean, I mean to see 60 Minutes laughing, saying, why won't you admit it's a crisis? Like, look, later in my questioning, as, as you know, I, I got very angry with Mayorkas, and I am very angry with Mayorkas, because for me, this is personal. Look, I represent 30 million Texans. I'm down on the border. I see the people in South Texas that are suffering. I've seen the children who are physically assaulted. I've seen the women who've been raped. I've seen the, the, the human carnage. I've seen dead bodies floating in the Rio Grande. The I, wristbands that you showed at the hearing the other week. Which he didn't know what they were. Yeah. I, I have to say in the entire hearing, that was the moment that stunned me the most. When I put up the wristbands, that wasn't meant to be a gotcha question. I was going to ask him about how tragic it was that they're, they're, the cartels are putting color-coded wristbands on the wrists of almost every illegal immigrant to correspond to how many thousands of dollars they owe, that they treat them like human cattle, they treat them like cargo, they, they trap the teenage boys in working for the drug dealers in cities across America, they trap the teenage girls in sex slavery – all of that is horrific, which I intended to ask him about. But I was stunned when he said, I, I don't know what those wristbands are. Like, like, you have literally not even pretended to do your job if that's the case. Because it means when you stand on the banks of the Rio Grande, you see them covering the grass. You look down and just see hundreds. You see thousands of them. You see little ones that are clearly on little kids that are on four, five, six-year-old kids. Um... When you talk to Border Patrol agents, what it means, if he was telling the truth, if he wasn't lying, I don't know if he was lying when he said he didn't know what those were, but if he was telling the truth, it means he hasn't bothered in two years on the job to sit down with his agents and say, hey, what's happening? And I got to say his defense in 60 minutes. Well, I won't say it's a crisis because it's I believe in, in my agents. Yeah. What a steaming pile of crap. It, I got to tell you, his agents don't believe in him. I talk to his agents. They'll all tell you it's a crisis. Every one of them will tell you it's a crisis, and it's a crisis because of him, and it's a crisis because of Joe Biden. Now, I'm going to make a prediction. Within six months, Mayorkas will be out of his job. Really? I don't know if he'll resign or if Biden will fire him. But I think the Democrats have decided to make Mayorkas the scapegoat, even sending him out on 60 Minutes. Well, um, and it looks like the media is clearly kind of starting to become done with him. And I want to show this last clip because it proves that point. Look. But the DHS estimates another 600,000 people evaded agents and entered the U.S. illegally, the highest number in over a decade. What the American people see is a border that looks to be chaotic, that looks to be porous. Well, let, let's, I mean, the number of people that are arriving at our border um, is at an extraordinary height. There's no question about that. But that is not unique to the southern border of the United States. There is a tremendous amount of movement throughout the hemisphere and, in fact, throughout the world. The fact that even 60 Minutes would show those images tells you that the tide is turning. But then also the fact that he's got such a terrible response to their question with video evidence tells you something else. Well, look, it's the talking point of the Democrats. We saw this at the hearing with Mayorkas and Judiciary where they all said this is not Biden's fault. 
there was illegal immigration before Biden and it's a problem elsewhere in the world. That's all part of it. It's not our fault, not our fault. We didn't do anything wrong. Except for one very inconvenient fact. In 2020, the last year of Trump's presidency, we had the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years. The instant Joe Biden became president, the rate skyrocketed that week. Yeah. Skyrocketed. We now have the highest rate ever recorded. We went from the lowest rate in 45 years to the highest rate ever recorded. We went instantaneously because of Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas' decisions. And I told you the moment at, at the, the judiciary hearing when, it, when I really realized, wow, the Democrats have decided they found their scapegoat and he's a bald Cuban in the cabinet, which is when Mayorkas was, was getting pummeled by me and he looked to Dick Durbin, the chairman of the committee, and said, Mr. Chairman, will you help me? And Durbin, I've spent 11 years tangling with Durbin. He loves to argue with me. I actually love to argue with yeah. him. We have been in there pounding on each other many times. He just looked and kind of shrugged and was like, didn't say a word. And, and I was like— That's not what you were expecting. It, Durbin, all right, if it had been Merrick Garland who'd done the exact same thing, Dur Durbin would have jumped in and started arguing with me, which is what he always does. There, yeah. You can Google and find a dozen videos of Durbin jumping in and arguing with me when I'm questioning a witness, and it's a Democrat witness, a Biden cabinet member, or an Obama Protecting cabinet them. member, and, and they're taking on water. It's not going well for them. Durbin, like clockwork, will jump in and try to protect them. And the fact that he just kind of shrugged and is like, nope, you're on your own, buddy, it said to me, wow, okay, they've made a decision. He's their guy. This their is a problem, guy. and he's the fall guy. Within six months, I think Mayorkas is gone. It's going to be a big week in political history. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens, how this plays out in New York. I can promise you this. We will be covering it on Verdict, so make sure you hit that subscribe button. Hit that auto-download button. Remember, if you're watching this, we do two audio-only versions, so subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can tell Siri or Alexa, play uh, Verdict with Ted Cruz. It will play it for you automatically. We will be on top of it all this week. We even did a podcast on Thursday night slash Friday morning, like 2 in the morning yeah. uh, this week when, when all this hits, so we will be doing this for you. And so subscribe sure on YouTube, too. So it, subscribe to the audio podcast, but also YouTube. YouTube, so you get the videos once a week and get the audios three times a week. Bingo. So we'll see you guys on uh, our video and audio all week long. We'll see you then. Thanks for watching and listening as always. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben.
HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben.